Maybe we'll open in a word of prayer. Uh, Thanks, Lord, again for all the uh, wonderful things that we've uh, been able to rejoice in this morning. Um, And I pray that as we uh, hear your word and hear the gospel, um, that uh, you would uh, cause us to rejoice in in that uh, more than anything else. Uh, Lord, your word brings us joy and the, the truth of your resurrection. Uh, so we pray that you would uh, come and speak to our hearts, uh, comfort us and, and give us hope in Jesus. Amen. Uh, you're in John 20 there. Um, I think it's worth flicking back a few pages to John chapter 16. Um, which is a a passage that sets up uh, a lot of what we're going to be seeing this morning. Uh, John chapter 16, uh, I'm going to read from verse 16 and then uh, skip down a few verses. But uh, Jesus said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Uh, verse 20 he goes on to explain what he meant by that. He says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Uh, These verses from John 16 set up what's going to happen in John chapter 20. Uh, He says, your grief will turn to joy, your sorrow will turn to joy. I think that's a really beautiful and and poignant promise um, for us at Easter. Um, There are always things that that give us sorrow uh, and grief. Uh, But Jesus says, your sorrow will turn to joy. Uh, Certainly no amount of of chocolate eggs or silly bunny rabbits is going to give us joy in our sorrows. Uh, It's going to take something more than that. Uh, And that's the hope that we have in the resurrection. Uh, We see God doing something about the things, the big things in life that give us sorrow. Uh, Here in John 20, we see God dealing with four big things that, bigger, that bring us sorrow. Death, loss, fear and doubt. Uh, God gives us an answer in those sorrows. Uh, and in that answer, in those answers, we see the fulfilment of the promise that Jesus gave. Uh, our sorrows turn to joy. Uh, so the first one in, comes from verses 1 to 10. God's answer to death. Now, death is a reality, uh, isn't it, that we all face. We all know we're going to die. Uh, Some of us, maybe that's closer than others, Um, or at least it seems closer. And it's... but But for all of us, it is a reality that is going to... that we're going to face one day. Um, And it's not a particularly nice thought either, is it? 
Hopefully, if you're a Christian, um, it's you don't fear what comes after death. But even even still, if you're a Christian, I think it's fair to say that the idea of actually going through death is not a particularly appealing idea. Death is is painful. It's generally associated with suffering and uh, and uh, sickness and and pain. Um, and uh, we saw that on Friday with the death of Jesus, didn't we? Uh, Steve told us, uh, as he preached from John 19, about the gruesome, the shameful, the tragic end of Jesus' life. His naked body on the tree, the blood uh, flowing out, the pain of crucifixion. Um, and this image, I guess, of, of such a painful way to die uh, would have been imprinted on uh, the disciples' minds. I'm, they, they would have been raw, I guess, with the fresh memory of that sight, of Jesus hanging there on the cross, screaming in agony. Uh, his naked, bloody, mangled corpse would have been seared into their brains, It's not a, a pleasant thing to watch your dearest friend die in such a horrible, horrific way. Uh, and then, as we saw in verse 1 there, uh, the nightmare got even worse for Mary Magdalene. She went to the tomb to pay her respects, and what does she find? There's no more body. And her first instinct, her, or her first conclusion is that someone's stolen it Um, grave robbing wasn't particularly uncommon in those days um, or it might have been the Jewish leaders that she was thinking about uh, wanting to steal away Jesus body for some reason Um, but her first thought here is that Jesus body has been stolen and as I said this is the nightmare is getting worse it just gets worse and worse this story and so she ran off uh, telling Peter and John um, that someone's made off with the, t- with the body. And so Peter and John ran to the tomb. <clears throat> now, they didn't find the body, did they? Obviously. But what they did find was the strips of linen that Jesus' body had been wrapped in. Now, that's a funny thing to find if the body had been stolen. If, if the body was being stolen in the middle of the night, what you, what you would have done is picked up everything and just made off with it. And, you, know, you wouldn't have bothered to unwrap the body uh, and left the strips of linen there. Uh, but what they found is the linen just left there. It's almost as if uh, Jesus had rose, risen from the dead. Because he had. Um, And that's exactly the conclusion that John came to. Uh, John, the disciple that Jesus loved, uh, verse 8, he saw and believed. The only reasonable explanation for what they found in the tomb there was that Jesus had risen from the dead, just as he said he would. Uh, And this is God's answer to death, as I said, to have his son endure it on our behalf and then rise from it. 
Uh, This was God's plan all along, even though the disciples didn't understand it, as verse 9 says. Uh, They didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Uh, John had seen the evidence from it in real life, and and he understood and believed that, but he said it surprised me, uh, writing when he writes this this passage later on, he said it surprised me because I didn't understand what the Old Testament was saying about it. Um, And just as Steve said on Friday, the whole Old Testament points to Jesus' death uh, and his victorious resurrection. Uh, We read a couple of passages this morning. Uh, Psalm 30, talking about uh, God raising up his anointed one up from the realm of the dead. Uh, Ezekiel 37, God spoke uh, about how he would raise up his dead people, uh, giving them new bodies and breathing life into them. Uh, here we see Jesus being the representative uh, people of the representative of the people of God, the working uh, prototype, if you like, of God's resurrected people. Uh, and so, in in the resurrection, we see also the promise that we will be raised from dead too. This is Jesus saving us from death. This is God's answer to death. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have to go through death. Uh, but it means we do so in the knowledge that we will rise again afterwards, just like Jesus. And as we sang before, where is the sting of death? Where is the victory of the grave? It's done away with because of Jesus. Uh, If you've read C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, uh, one of my favourite, or possibly my favourite, of all time, um, parts of the, the series comes at the end of uh, The Silver Chair. Um, the adventure of uh, Jill and Eustace has finished. Um, they've rescued the king's son uh, and the king Caspian, uh, after seeing his son one last time, uh, dies. An old man. But what we see next is the blood uh, of the great lion Aslan flows over Caspian's body. Uh, And as that happens, all the effects of death and ageing and sickness are wiped away. Uh, And then Caspian leaps to his feet, a, a, a a specimen of humanity and very much alive. Uh, This is the promise that we have in Jesus' death uh, and resurrection, that we too will be raised to life, glorious life, uh, free from death, free from sickness, free from sin. Uh, Secondly, uh, from verses 11 to 18, God gives us an answer to loss. Uh, Now, I've been speaking about death so far um, from the point of view of the person who's dying, but uh, I guess once that's all over, um, everyone else sort of has to get on with living without the person that's died. Um, and And that shows us the, I guess, the second source of sorrow that God deals with in this passage, uh, the grief of loss. Uh, It's the grief that we see in Mary as she stood outside the tomb, weeping in verse 11. Um, She's really utterly beside herself at this point, um, uh, both at the loss of Jesus and then the loss of his body as well. Um, She's so 
utterly overcome with grief. Um, And she's refusing to be comforted even by uh, the angels and by uh, Jesus himself, although she doesn't recognise that it's Jesus, of course. Um, And and she's even sort of... um, In verse 15, she gives this kind of strange suggestion that she should go and get the body of Jesus. If... I mean, if if they had taken his body away, why would they give it back to her? Or how was what was she going to do with it afterwards? She's she's so overcome with grief that she's not even really thinking about what she's saying. But that's uh, something I guess that's um, also relatable to us. You know, grief is real, isn't it? I'm sure all of us have lost people that we love. Uh, And it's appropriate, it's normal to feel grief at the loss of that. Um, As Christians, we believe that they will rise again and we will see them again, uh, but that doesn't mean we miss them in the meantime. But God has an answer to grief. Uh, And Jesus calls out the name of Mary uh, and she recognises the relationship that uh, that they, she has with God in the uh, in the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, the answer to grief is the relationship that we have uh, with God now, a relationship that nothing can change. Uh, Jesus says he's. Uh, he, um, he says, don't hold on to me so closely. I'm not going to disappear at any moment. I'm not, I'm not uh, a, a ghost. I, you don't need to, to try and hold on to me as though I'm about to leave again. He says, uh, I am going to my father and your father. We have that intimacy uh, with the father that Jesus has as well. Uh, he calls the disciples my brothers. Uh, what a what a beautiful picture that we should be uh, brothers with Jesus, sons and daughters of God. Um, and this intimate relationship that can never change, this relationship that we have with uh, with Jesus and with the Father, is what we can hold to in that grief of loss. Uh, We've lost our loved ones, but we have not lost our Father. Uh, John then um, fast-forwards in verse 19 to the end of that day. All this has happened in the the very beginning of the day. In verse 19, John says, On the evening of that first day. Uh, Here we find the disciples huddled uh, in a room. Um, This is probably the same room where they'd had the Lord's Supper a few nights before and the door is securely shut. They're afraid. What's going to happen to us, they say? They've they've, uh, done away with Jesus. What are they going to do with us? Um, I think this this idea of fear of of uncertainty is uh, something that... Um, is uh, kind of permeates the chapter. I don't know uh, in different various forms. You know, I didn't realise, or they didn't they didn't understand, or whatever. It's 
almost the most repeated phrase in this chapter. Uh, And that uncertainty breeds fear. Now again, I think this is a relatable uh, feeling, isn't it? Uh, Many of us uh, are trying to come to grips with what's going on in the world. Um, I I guess um, as older Christians, many of you would remember a a time where uh, there was a a sort of a Christian world, I guess, that you grew up in. And, And you wonder what's happened to this world that... Uh, what what kind of society would give up um, the good Christian values that you grew up with? Um, for younger Christians like myself, you know, it's I guess that idea of of a Christian world is uh, a, really a foreign concept because we're so uh, ingrained in this culture. Uh, We've grown up in a culture, in a world where truth and and certainty are underrated, where the future um, is a a, a bleak idea. Um, And and so for all of us, then, there's this sense of confusion and fear. What's the next uh, few decades going to be like? What's going to happen to us as Christians in this world? Um, And that... Um, as I said, that brings sort of a, a fear about the future that uh, we can relate to in those disciples there. But Jesus says twice, peace be with you. Now that was a common thing to say uh, as a greeting in those days. Uh, but it harkens back, um, especially in this context, to something that Jesus had said uh, on the night before he died. Uh, Some of Jesus' last words to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Uh, In... If you want something to, uh, to hold on to as a certainty about the future, uh, Jesus says you will have trouble in this world. But take heart, I have overcome. Peace be with you. My peace I live with you, Jesus says. Um, and just as he had promised in the upper room, that peace came in the form of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus breathed on them there, uh, showing them that he would give them the Holy Spirit. Um, This is uh, a a similar language to God breathing life into Adam so that he became became a living soul, or uh, that God breathed into these dead bones in Ezekiel. Uh, God is breathing life into the disciples, breathing peace into them. Uh, other Greek, other Greek literature t- spoke of blowing into a flute with the same word, and that kind of I think gives a, a vivid picture of God uh, blowing into us and, and using us to make mu- His music in the world, as it were. Uh, now, oh, we've been going through Acts the last few months as well, so um, I'm sure you you might remember that uh, in Acts two. 
the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, uh, which uh, Jesus wasn't there for. This isn't uh, the day that Jesus rose again. Um, so I think what's happening here is that Jesus is, is acting out symbolically uh, what's going to happen in, in them receiving the Holy Spirit. Uh, but the peace that God gives comes through the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus also gave them a mission uh, as well as the Holy Spirit. He said, uh, uh, "If um, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, I think there's some irony here, um, given that the mission that Jesus is sending them on is not a particularly peaceful one. In fact, it's quite fearful. Uh, Jesus had already said in John um, that if they've persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. And again, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. It's, it's, it's opposed, this mission, intensely uh, opposed from outside. And it has eternal stakes as well, uh, Jesus says. But even in that mission, God gives us the, the peace of the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, I think that would be a really great high point to end the, end the story on. Um, but John does go, go on in, the, in the, the chapter. And he talks about God's answer to doubt. <clears throat> uh, doubt, I think, is something that most of us don't really want to admit to. You know, it's, uh, it's something like, if we have doubts, you know, does that mean we don't really believe and if we don't believe, then we're not Christians. So we, we all want to, I guess, I have this idea that we don't have doubts, that we believe uh, completely. Um, but doubts, uh, just like every other um, aspect of unbelief or sin, they do plague us as Christians. It's normal um, to experience doubts. It's not good or, it, it, you know, it's not right. Uh, but it is normal. <clears throat> um, doubt, I think, works against uh, hope. And so it is, um, I guess, one of these four things that brings us sorrow. Have you ever heard someone say, uh, I'm not a pessimist, I'm just a realist? Uh, it, it's a bit of a cliche that we... Uh, that we hear, uh, because we know that people's doubts, um, whether they call them realistic or, or otherwise, I guess, uh, doubts prevent us from having hope. That's why the, the two, the pessimist and the realist, go together in a sentence, uh, because those doubts of realism, I guess, uh, bring us to a an idea of pessimism. Um, probably Thomas wouldn't have called himself a, a pessimist. He was just a realist too. Uh, and so he says, you know, really, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Uh, I'm going to need some good evidence, you know, to back that up before I believe. Now, Paul said later on um, that if, if people, uh, to the Corinthians who were showing the same doubts, 
He said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, uh, if that's true, then our entire Christian hope is lost. If there's no resurrection, there's no Christian hope. No sorrow turning to joy, no answer to death, loss or fear. Uh, We might as well just go on and live in hopelessness like everyone else. But God did give an answer to doubt. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Uh, and Jesus showed, Jesus showed proof uh, that he really was raised from the dead. Uh, now, to his credit, Thomas showed that he really was a realist and not a pessimist because he, uh, as soon as he saw Jesus, he believed and said, My Lord and my God. Jesus uh, replied, I guess, uh, that's right, he says, good on you for, for seeing and believing Um, But I guess most people throughout history uh, won't have the luxury of seeing me in person. Uh, And they are blessed, Jesus says, uh, if they believe even without seeing. Uh, John goes on to say in verse 31 that that blessing uh, is uh, the blessing of eternal life. Now that's us, isn't it? We haven't seen Jesus in the flesh. Uh, We um, we don't have. We are the people that uh, believe without seeing. But how are we to overcome doubt? Uh, Let's uh, read uh, from verses thirty and thirty-one. Uh, John says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This, then, is the answer to doubt. The truth about Jesus written down for us. Uh, We're called to read these pages and to believe that Jesus is God, that he is the saviour, that he uh, is the king of the world. Uh, If we have doubts, we bring them to God and we read his answer in scripture. Now there is a place for, uh, I guess, apologetics and and the the proofs uh, that people put out um, to show Uh, why Christianity is worth believing in. Uh, But ultimately, if we have doubts, we come to the Bible. And that also means that the best way to help non-Christians come to know Jesus is to help them read the Bible for themselves. This is the answer to doubt. Uh, So Jesus had promised them in chapter 16, as I said, that their sorrow would turn to joy. Uh, and, and in this passage, it did. Uh, as it says, verse 20, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Their sorrow turned to joy. And as I said, that's because in Jesus' resurrection, the pain of death uh, turned to the glory of eternal life. The grief of loss uh, turned to the joy of relationship with God. 
the fear of an uncertain future turned to the peace of the Holy Spirit and the despair of doubts turned to the hope of a certain resurrection. And so as we believe uh, with the disciples the good news of the resurrection of Jesus, uh, this promise is for us too. Uh, John says again, uh, by believing you can have life in his name. Uh, Let's pray and thank him for that. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you uh, for the uh, amazing truth of the resurrection that you have uh, taken all the sorrows that we face in our lives uh, and turned them to joy uh, through the hope uh, and the uh, good news of the gospel. Uh, Lord, I uh, pray that there would be none here today who would uh, leave without uh, having believed on Jesus. Um, And so, uh, Lord, we pray that everyone here uh, would find life in your name, would be resurrected on the last day to uh, join in in eternal joy at your throne. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.